Life Christian Centre is a church located in the city of Adelaide. It is made up of people from different backgrounds and walks of life who have been transformed through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For more information, visit us online at www.life-church.com.au We have Pastor Mario uh, as a guest speaker again this week. Isn't that great? And we are excited. We're ready to hear what God has for us. And he's going to bring that word. So open your ears, put your seatbelt on, and get ready for the word of God. Thanks, Mario. Give him a, a round of applause as he comes up. Yeah. Make him feel welcome. He's part of this church. It's great. Good morning, church. How are you? Good. Thanks, worship team. Well, I'm not Hebrew, so I'm not going to tell you anything too deep. I'm an Italian, and an Italian knows a little bit about everything. But he knows a lot about food. So I'm not too sure that, that qualifies me to speak to you this morning. Um, but I hope I have something to say that will encourage you. Amen. Fantastic. I, um, I know my time this morning, but uh, I want to give credit first to the author of uh, the series that I'm preaching in our church, but also um, this message I'm going to give to you this morning. I was made aware of uh, Carl Alderman, who's a pastor in America, who's got a mega church, and he's written a book called um, Not a Fan, and um, I thought it was quite an interesting book. I started reading it, and uh, something spoke to me, and spoke to me because i have been in church pretty much all my life. I uh, give, gave my heart to the Lord at the age of 12. I uh, served in some capacity. I was playing violin at the age of about eight years old in church. It wasn't in tune, but I was playing. Yeah, I was playing my heart's content out there and um, started doing Sunday school and then went into ministry and, and been preaching in some capacity for a long time. And uh, as he, he's actually also uh, put a film together that sort of runs with the book. And he made this statement. And as I read the statement, I, I thought, I, can, I, I, I sort of understand what he's saying because that's me every Sunday. He said, as pastors, we can so easily fall into the trap of wanting to preach something that gets the attention of the hearers. I go, yeah, I, I want to preach like that. I want to preach something that people go like, wow, this, guy, this guy's good. Something to say that will get people talking. You know, uh, I try and throw a couple of jokes in there. People never remember my message, but they remember the jokes, you know. And I'm thinking, well, I'm not the only one. And then he says, something that will get people coming back next week for more. And we want, we, I don't want to preach a message and we've got 50 people this week and next week I've only got 20 people and preach another message and the week after there's only 10 people. We want that we preach a message and you all come back. I preached a series once, so it went for about four or five weeks and I said, who's been here for the whole series in the church? And about three people put their hand up and that was two of them, it was myself and my wife. <laughs> I'm like, wow. So we want to preach a message that people keep coming back. I want to come back for more. And somehow we've all thought that the size of the crowd really matters. How many people in church on Sunday? In fact, most churches count how many people come on Sunday. And sizes matter. I'd rather preach to 10 people than to 2 people. I'd rather preach to 100 people than 50 people. But we've made it all about the size of the crowd. And we're thinking, the bigger the crowd, the more successful we are in preaching or teaching or in imparting to somebody but it wasn't so with Jesus Jesus had a habit of preaching to large crowds that became very small I'm not too sure whether too many churches 
would employ him to preach because they want their numbers to go up, right? So I'm going to read some passages out of John chapter 6, some verses there uh, to introduce this topic. Uh, And I'm talking about, are you a fan or are you a follower? Are you a fan or are you a follower? John chapter 6 verse 1, after these things, Jesus went over the sea of, uh, went over the sea of Galilee, which is in the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and saw a great multitude coming toward him. And he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for for them, that every one of them may have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon, Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? Then Jesus said, Make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place. So the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples and the disciples to those sitting down and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so nothing is lost. Therefore they gathered them up and filled 12 baskets with fragments of five barley loaves which were left over by those who had eaten. Then those men, when they had seen the sign that Jesus did, said, This is truly the prophet who is to come into the world. Now I'm going to fast forward to verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, This is a day after actually. He said, Most assuredly I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves that were filled. Do not labor for for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has sent his seal on him. And Jesus said to them, verse 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger, and he who believes in me shall never thirst. Verse 41, then the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I came, I have come down from heaven? Verse 51 I am the living bread which comes down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh which I shall give for the life of the world. Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among them. I'm so glad I'm not a Jew. They quarreled amongst them saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Verse 60, therefore many of his disciples, when they heard this said, this is a hard saying, who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is a spirit who gives life. The flesh profits for nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning 
who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I've said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. And verse 66, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. It's interesting that many of his disciples, many of those that were following him, I'm not too sure what they were there for, decided to follow him no more. The crowd no longer followed Jesus. See, uh, the fans, the group, the multitudes, the 5,000 plus children and women, they followed Jesus and I would say that they were fans because they were applauding him one day and they were going, truly this must be a prophet sent by God. And then the next day they left him because they didn't like his teaching. And I'm interested that Jesus never chased after them. Jesus never softened his message for them. He didn't make it more palatable so that they'll come back time and time again to hear what he had to say. His message was not what I would call fan-friendly. They were offended. They started quarreling. This guy's asking us to eat his flesh. This guy's crazy. And they took off. See, what we try to do is we try to make Jesus as attractive as possible. We not, on, not only offer Jesus, we also want to give people a free meal. We say, come to Jesus. And you know what? You're going to have a community of people supporting you. Come to Jesus and you're going to be in a family. And those, all, those things are all appealing. But we're sort of selling Jesus or promoting Jesus with all the add-on benefits. It's a bit like a father who has a 25-year-old daughter. The daughter wants to get married. The father wants his daughter to be married. So the father puts an ad in the newspaper and it reads like this. Need my 25-year-old daughter married. Looking for a husband. She comes with added incentives. Oh, I'm willing to give you $100,000 for the first man willing to marry her, her dad. It's not going to work for the daughter, is it? She doesn't want someone to marry her just because there's an incentive of $100,000. Mind you, that looks really good to me. But she wants to be married because the person marrying her loves her and wants her for who she is. Not because there's $100,000 waiting for him. See, we try to make Jesus more appealing. And I believe the church probably for the last 15, 20 years has, has tried to do everything in their powers to make Jesus more appealing, more accommodating, more convenient. See, we tend to make Christianity all about forgiveness, salvation and happiness. Well, I want to say to you this morning, there can be no forgiveness without repentance. There can be no forgiveness without repentance. Can I hear an amen? Not sure if I'm in a Pentecostal church, right? There can be no forgiveness without repentance. There can be no salvation without surrender. There can be no happiness without first being broken. So my question to all of us this morning and the question that I've been asking myself over the last couple of months as, is this, is, am I just a fan of Jesus or am I a, a true follower of Jesus? 
And I go, well, you, you go to church. Actually, you have to show up because you've got to preach on Sunday. That must make you a, a follower. I read my Bible. I, I lift. You saw me lifting my hands in church, didn't you? Well, I saw myself lifting my hands. I'm in a life group, a small group, a connect group, whatever you want to call it. We're so quickly to say, yes, I, I'm not a fan. I, I'm actually a follower. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 20, 21 says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Have we not preached? Have we not taught in your name? Cast out demons in your name? I added a few words out, I don't know if you were following. And done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. That's, that's a dreadful position to be in. Ever heard of define the relationship? Ever heard of that? Well, we never did it. Um, it's more a common thing today where young couples start going out. Put up your hand if you're going out with somebody. Just kidding. I knew you wouldn't put up your hand. Been going out for a while. They having dinner. And one of them says, can you please, like, I, I really care about you, but can you just define the relationship that we have? We've gone out for a bit. Can you just define the relationship? They want to learn where they're at. They, they, they want to know whether there's actually something significant about what they're doing. I mean, define it. Are we just friends? Or is it more? You know, it's a common term. Are we just friends or, or is it more? Oh, is this just a friendship or is, are we getting to a place of actually committing to each other? So if Jesus were to ask you this morning, please define the relationship that you have with me, what would you answer? Casual? On need basis. We get together when we need each other. Casual? Or exclusively committed to each other? I think that most of us wouldn't say we're true followers, but possibly we would fall in the category of saying, look, I'm a fan, I'm an enthusiastic admirer. And so many of the crowd that followed Jesus were just that. They applauded him when he did amazing things. Everyone loved the spectacle. There was an enthusiastic admirer going, wow, we haven't heard anybody speak like this before. I know that this is a city torn by two clubs. One's called the Crows and the other one's called Poor Power. I've got Poor Power colours on me this morning because I'm a Poor Power fan. More so last year than a few years ago. See, I'm not really a... I'm not a fan like Frank is over there. <laughs> Frank's a true fan. Yeah, but, but you know what? Anyone can be a fan because, you know, what, what do you do? You... you I, don't, I haven't even bought a jersey. The only jersey that I have is the one that my, my kids have bought me, just one recently. And I wore it to the Anucci family's home the other day and they told me, you can't walk in this house with that, that jersey on. Fans paint their face up with their colours. I mean, I, I haven't done that, but I know some fans do that. They put their colours all over their face. and Some fans even go out and buy a signed jersey and hang it up on the wall. I don't have one of those. Uh, I went to the NRL grand final and there was a I mean, I'm sitting up in the bleachers. This is the Olympic Stadium and we're right up the top. The, cheap, the tickets were re really cheap. It was during COVID and, you know, there were about 40,000 people there and there was a guy behind us and he's, he's cheering for the Melbourne. I wasn't cheering for anybody because I, 
I just thought I'd just go and watch the spectacle. And the guy behind me who was cheering for the Melbourne Storm, I mean, we're in the bleachers, so I can't even, I can be, uh, they look like ants walking around, right? you know. I can't even, virtually can't even distinguish which team is which. But this guy was calling out the player's name by, he, from such a distance, he knew who they were. So some fans know all the players' names. I've got no idea. Some even have a, a sticker on the back of their car. I don't have one. But you know what? A fan never makes a pass. A fan never takes a hit. The most that a fan does is he yells and screams. And uh, there's no need for sacrifice. I go and watch as long as my team is winning. And then what happens is when you've got a, a series of season losses, you know, when you finish at the bottom of the ladder. And if that happens again, the bottom of the ladder, the fan quickly jumps onto another team. So for a few years, I was really supporting the Sydney Swans. That hasn't worked out too well. But Jesus had a lot of fans. They would cheer when things were going well, but they would walk away when things got difficult. That's exactly what happened in the scripture that I read. Fans sit in the stand and they cheer, but they know nothing of sacrifice. The fans of Jesus know a lot about him, but they don't really know Jesus intimately. Jesus is never really interested in fans. See, we, we've made our churches massive stadiums full of fans when it should be a sanctuary full of followers of Jesus. See, so many people want to be close to Jesus because they get the benefits. I mean, the crowd got free, a free lunch. But they don't want to be too close to Jesus when he asks for sacrifice. How do you define yourself? A fan or a follower? We look at cultural comparisons. We look at the commitment levels of others. And we feel if I've got a higher level of commitment than the person sitting next to me, usually my wife, and I think, like, oh, I'm doing better than her. I'm not a fair weather fan of Jesus. I, like, I, you know, when it gets tough, I'm still there. When the church doesn't like me, I'm still there. <laughs> and we compare ourselves to how others are going. We usually pick out the person that's doing less or who's probably not doing as well as what we are. It's like the husband, husbands, I'm talking to you right now, who wants to convince his wife that she hasn't got it that bad. So what do we do? We go like, hey, have you seen, I'll pick on my brother-in-law because I love him. Have you seen Bruno? It was their wedding anniversary and he didn't even take out Grace for dinner. Now, I, at least I bought you flowers. And that's what we do when we begin to compare ourselves. We compare ourselves to others and say, I must, be, I must be a follower because I think that person there, that person, the person next to me qualifies as a fan. Or we have a religious ruler. So like this. Hey, a, a fan wouldn't go to church every Sunday. Who was here last week? It's all right. Don't need you to put your hand up. Would a fan put money in the offering? Would a fan volunteer for the nursery? 
Would a fan volunteer for the greeting team or the hospitality team? Would a fan, would a fan volunteer to lock up the church? Would a fan only listen to Christian music? I can't be just a fan. I've got to be a follower. And then others use other measures. Well, I'm part of C3 or I'm a Hillsong church or I'm Reformed Baptist or I'm a Methodist and, you know, we really teach the Word of God there. So I'm not just like these happy, clappy Christians. Or we talk about family heritage. I can go back to my grandfather who became a Christian in Italy. I go like, well, you know, I've been following Jesus for a long, long time now. There's all sorts of ways that we qualify that we are actually a follower, not a fan. I want to tell you a quick story of Nicodemus, John chapter 3. We don't have time to read it, but I'm sure most of you know the story. Nicodemus was a Pharisee. He was a secret admirer of Jesus. And he wanted to take his relationship with Jesus to the next level. But he was like a secret admirer. So he decides to go to see Jesus at night time. It was a secret admirer of Jesus and he goes, look, you know what, I, I, I want to go and spend a bit of time with him. So he goes to see him at night time. He wanted to be a follower, but he knew as a Pharisee to come out publicly and declaring that he was a follower of Jesus was going to cost him something. But he had a desperate desire to want to get closer with Jesus. And so he decides to go at night time. Why? Because he was afraid of what was going to happen to him. He goes by night because he didn't want awkward conversations with his colleagues. Because if he had gone during the day, they'll go like, hey, where are you going? I'm having a meeting with Jesus. The Pharisees didn't like Jesus. So he went at night time so he could avoid scrutiny of his peers. He wanted to build a stronger relationship with Jesus. But he also knew that if his colleagues knew that he was going to see Jesus, he probably would have lost his job. He wanted to be a follower of Jesus, but he knew that following Jesus would have put his friends offside. Maybe he thought he could make a decision in his heart without disrupting his established life. Doesn't that sound like a lot of fans? I want a relationship with Jesus, but I just want to keep living the way that I'm living. I'm happy to follow Jesus without making any significant changes that have never negative consequences to my life and to my world. But Nicodemus was going to have to face some incredible challenges. He was going to learn very quickly that you can't follow Jesus without Jesus interfering with your life. See, following Jesus will cost you something. For Nicodemus, it was going to cost his powerful position. Like to get to be a Pharisee, it wasn't easy. Respect of his colleagues, the income, his livelihood, his friendships. It was going to cost him something. And he wasn't too sure whether he was prepared to pay that cost. So he goes to see Jesus at night time. Question I have for all of us this morning, and I've been asking myself for the last couple of months is, has following Jesus cost you something? Has it cost you anything? Has following Jesus interfered with your life? See, most of us don't mind Jesus making us minor adjustments in your life. You know, some minor changes. But you know what? Jesus actually wants to turn your life upside down. 
Or could I say, right side up? See, fans of Jesus want to, they just want to, Jesus just a little touch up. Jesus wants to give a complete makeover. The fans want to tune up. Jesus wants to give a complete overhaul. Fans want makeup, but Jesus wants to give a complete makeover. Fans want minor decorating, and Jesus wants to completely remodel their life. Fans want Jesus to inspire them, but Jesus wants to interfere in their life. In the religious role that Nicodemus had, he had to learn by heart, recite the first five books of the Bible, the Old Testament. Nicodemus was dedicated, had dedicated his whole life to religious acts, to ritual. And now Jesus is about to say to him, all that you have done, all this ritual, all this knowledge that you have, it's not what you need. You need humility. You need to be born again. And you need to surrender your whole life over to me. Nicodemus had a decision to make. But making a decision, can I say, is not the same as following Jesus. Jesus doesn't just want us to believe. He actually wants us to follow him. So another question. Have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to following him? I remember uh, doing baptisms and one of the things that when people entered into water baptism, the question, have you made Jesus your Lord and Savior? Yes, amen. Have you decided to follow him every single day of your life? That was a question that was asked. And I don't know if we still do that. And it's, it's usually yes, because they're getting baptized. Jesus doesn't just want us to believe or make a decision. He wants us to follow him. Have you made a decision for Jesus or have you committed to following him? There's so many people who believe without making a commitment to follow. It's like the groom and I've done so many weddings and I actually haven't quite seen this, but... I know it's happened. Where on the, on the wedding day, they make a commitment to each other. Richer for poor and sickness and health. To death do we part. And then the, the, the groom on the honeymoon starts sleeping around. Every commitment that he had made to his spouse on his wedding day means nothing. Because he hasn't followed through with a commitment that he made to this person he says he loves. See, our churches have become fan factories where most people believe, but most stop there and never continue to follow. See, Christianity is not a place, it's a journey. And when you surrender your life to Jesus and make him your Lord and Savior, it's the start of the journey. But it doesn't stop there. It continues there. The Gospels, uh, Jesus is recorded to say, believe in me five times. And he says, follow me over 20 times. And we've made just believing the important part. Now, believing is important. But Jesus says, you need to follow me. Follow and believe, believe and follow. They're so interconnected. See, to truly believe in Jesus, you've got to follow him. And Nicodemus made a decision about Jesus. At that point, it's not the same as following Jesus. Believing is not the same as following. You see, Nicodemus believed in Jesus in the middle of the night, but Jesus wanted him to follow him 
even during the day as well. Can I bring it down to our level? We want to come Sunday and believe in Jesus. But he doesn't want us just to believe in him. He wants us to follow him on Monday. And sometimes we even stop as soon as the service is over and get into our car and start driving home. Have you made a decision for Jesus or have you decided to follow Jesus? See, when we believe, we lift up our hands, we pray a prayer, we walk forward. But that's not the same as following Jesus. And I've been to so many altar calls. I've given so many altar calls and I want people to make a decision for Jesus. But it doesn't finish there. It just starts there. See, when we make a decision to believe in Jesus without following Jesus, we are nothing more than just a fan. It's like the fan on the Sunday, on game day. They show up on game day and see how things are going. It's like the bride and groom made a commitment on their day, on their wedding day. But the test of the commitment is every other day. See, to have mental consent or... To agree, I believe, I lift up my hand. It's not the same as following. Now, believing is truly an important step to make. But if you truly believe, then you must become a follower. And most stop at believing. Because following always, I would say always, costs you something. For Nicodemus, following Jesus was going to cost him a lot. Moses could not follow God without him standing before Pharaoh. Noah could not follow God without building an ark that would draw ridicule by the people around him. Daniel could not follow God without public, uh, praying publicly and then being thrown into the lion's den. Following Jesus will cost you something. You can't just follow Jesus at night time. It's a 24-hour-a-day commitment I follow Jesus. And if you follow Jesus, he'll interfere with your life. See, following Jesus, my friend, is not a cheap gospel. Buy it now and there's no cost to you. Comes with all the perks and you pay for nothing. And we know that in the real world. Nothing is for free. It's not a cheap gospel presentation that we need to make. Where we promise everything and you give up nothing. I'll say it again. There's no forgiveness without repentance. No salvation without surrender. And I want to say to you, there's no life without death. One of the things of water baptism is that when you go down in the water, it's symbolic of dying to oneself. And as you come up out of the water, it's symbolic of a new life that doesn't belong to you belongs to Jesus, it's just cost you your life. Many people want to believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus as we go to church on Sunday. We believe in Jesus, we pray for the meal on Sunday. We believe in Jesus, we own a Bible. We believe in Jesus and we say nice things, but we don't want Jesus to interfere with our life. And I don't believe you can truly be a believer believer if you don't choose to follow and not willing to lay down your life. Follow quickly on Nicodemus as time is going. John chapter 7. I won't read it for time, but they're talking about Jesus. Who is he? 
Is he truly a prophet? Who is he? Is he the Messiah? And the, the Pharisees were debating. They say, like, but we thought the Messiah was coming from the lineage of David, was coming from Bethlehem, and this Jesus is from Nazareth, and he's not supposed to come from Nazareth. And guess what? In the middle of that crowd, in the middle of the Pharisees, the religious elites, there's Nicodemus who went to see Jesus at night, and he stands up for Jesus. And he says, in verse 51, says, Does our Lord judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? And they answered and said to him, to Nicodemus, Are you also from Galilee? That's where Nicodemus said, I'm no longer just going to be a believer, or I'm no longer just going to be a follower in the middle of the night. I now come out publicly and highlights that he is transitioned from just a believer and admirer just a fan that says hey I'm gonna speak up for Jesus and guess what my colleagues are not gonna like that and then you can fast forward to John chapter 19 when Jesus is buried a couple of people showed up to take his body Joseph of Arimathea. And I love it because John puts it so nicely. He loves repeating it. He says, and Nicodemus showed up, who at first came to Jesus by night. I mean, he repeats that a couple of times. Here's this Nicodemus who, who, who was like, hey, he's just a, 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 a closet fan. I know a lot of Crows fans are just like that. They're closet Port Adelaide fans. I will never bring it out in the open. Sorry, I got the microphone, so all the crow supporters need to keep quiet. <laughs> Nicodemus brings 100 pounds of myrrh and aloes to treat the body of Jesus. And you have to say at this moment, you would say he's no longer just a fan, he's a follower. And someone has actually said that, that was the last time we hear about Nicodemus in the Bible, but some historians believe that Nicodemus was martyred sometime in the first century. He knew it was going to cost him something. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have an everlasting life. John 3.16 is all about God and what he has done for us through Jesus Christ so that we can believe and have everlasting life. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth that the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. It's about believing and confessing. It's about believing and confessing. But it doesn't finish there. It actually just starts there. John 3.16 is all about Jesus being your saviour. He wants to be your saviour, but he also wants to be your Lord. See, when Nicodemus visited Jesus at night time, it was all about believing and making Jesus a saviour. You need to be born again. But God's looking for followers. Nicodemus in John 7, 52, in John 19, it's where he goes from just believing to being a follower. From a fan to a follower. Luke 9, 23, he says, listen, Then he said to them, Oh, Jesus, if anyone desires to come after me, and if you're going to write anything down this morning, he says, let him deny himself. 
take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever wants to lose his life for my sake will save it. To deny, take up his cross daily and follow Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't call us just to believe in him, but the call is to follow him. Matthew 4.19. Then he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. They had to give up their livelihood. I mean, that was their bread and butter. No more income. He didn't say, hey, come and believe in me. He said, come follow me. Matthew 19.21. Then Jesus said to him, if you want to be perfect, go sell what you have and give to the poor. And we've made this scripture all about selling possession, that possessions don't have your heart. He says, where you, have, uh, you will have treasure in heaven. And then we stop there. But he went on to say, come follow, come follow me. Mark chapter 10, verse 21. Then Jesus looked at him, loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor and you'll have treasure in heaven. Come take up the cross and follow me. John 21, 22, Jesus said to him, if I will that he remain too, I come, talking about John, like John's not going to die, he's not going to be martyred. He's saying, it's none of your business, if that's what I want. But he says, what, what is that to you? Come, follow me. My question to me, my question to you, my question to all of us this, this morning is this, are you just a believer or do you want to become a follower? Now, I don't want to be really radical, but it's a reality. Do you know the devil is a believer? He knows that Jesus died and rose again. He knows that Jesus is the Son of God, but the devil lives in rebellion. And Jesus knows that you can't just believe in him. He wants you to follow him. See, following him is all about giving up your rights and being prepared to do and say and be what Jesus wants you to do, say and be. Now, Jesus wants to be your saviour. If you've never made a decision for Jesus, the start of this journey is making Jesus as your Lord and saviour. You're believing that he is a son of God who came on this planet Earth, who died on a cross, not for his sin, but for your sin. But he rose again on the third day. And that's the start of the journey but he doesn't want it to stop there because he wants to be not just your saviour. He wants to be your Lord. And to make him your Lord, it's about daily denying oneself. Now picking up the cross and the cross speaks of death. Dying to oneself. Denying oneself. And telling oneself, I've died to myself and I now live for Jesus and I choose to follow him let's be upstanding time's run out won't have much time this morning to ask that question again but I pray that you start on this journey and assessing and asking yourself the question over and over again, have I just become a fan of Jesus who just believes but not willing to commit to totally following him? Because if I follow him, there's some things that I'm going to have to deny myself. And I'll let that, I'll leave that with you and pray that the power of the Holy Spirit speaks to all of us this morning about what it is that God wants from us.
Father, I pray for your people this morning. I just thank you, Lord. The Holy Spirit is here this morning just to speak into our heart, not just believing, not just a Savior, but speaking into our heart about Jesus, our Lord. Continue to challenge us, Holy Spirit. We want to follow you. We want to lay down our life for you. We want to live for you. No matter what the cost. Amen. You just can't hear a message like that and do nothing. And I thank Murray for the courage to give that message to us today because we need it. And we need to ask ourselves that question continually every day. And I pray today you will go out not as fans, but as followers of Jesus Christ, making that decision, that commitment to follow him, not just in church, but wherever you are, that you will be his hands and his feet, wherever you go. I pray, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word has touched our lives. Lord, we just don't want to be hearers of your word. We want to be doers. That means followers. Lord, help us to follow you. Help us to do what you've called us to do. Lord, we pray every area that we are in, Lord, that we are your representative, that we will be your hands and feet and we will do greater things for you, Lord. Lord, we pray your blessing upon each and every one of us as we go, Lord, that you will be with us and your spirit will lead us into the direction you want us to go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you. Don't forget Wednesday night, Shane Willard.